So we left off on this paragraph. I'm going to read it again because I like it. And then there are those who claim that they have taken the path of the people of God, wearing their style of clothes and speaking in a way that deludes the people into believing that they are from them. The reality is that this type of person is useless. He fills his stomach with food with no regard for its permissibility, sleeps all through the night. I forgot to live stream this. Sorry, guys. I feel like I was really on top of Zoom when I was teaching. It's like on Zoom all the time and stuff. Now I'm turning into an old timer. All right. The reality is that this type of person is useless. He fills his stomach with food with no regard for its permissibility, sleeps all through the night, and desires the material world like a predator stalks its prey. The ego of such a person <clears throat> the ego of such a person convinces him that he is a true sheikh. He has followers that it was actually not even this paragraph, it was this sentence. He has followers that hunt the filth of this life for him under the false deity of his sheikhhood. They make claims that they have something of real value. They are liars. They are the ones referred to by Sayyid ibn al-Farid in the following verses of poetry. They contented themselves with their fantasies and were tried by their base desires. They claim to swim in the oceans of divine love, but they never even got wet. They are the ones who never left their starting place in their journey. They didn't even go anywhere, and they still got tired. Indeed, they even went backwards because they followed what their base desires compelled them to, so Satan drove them to whatever he wanted from them. As the poet said, they strayed from my way out of jealousy when they chose blindness over guidance. Since the time that we opened the Majlis, we've repeated 7,486 times that there are true teachers and there are false teachers. And what gives you the ability to be able to protect yourself from that is to understand the knowledge that clarifies to you who's who. It's the most important thing. And to know that no matter what spiritual station someone claims or is known to have or whatever it might be, nobody is uh, free from the Sharia. Nobody is free from the Sharia. There is no Hakika. Say the Hakika is like the internal reality. There is no Hakika without Sharia. There is no Hakika without Sharia. Nobody is free from the Sharia. The Sharia is the ultimate Faisal. It's the line between the two. So if someone's doing something and you feel like, I don't know if this is right, I feel kind of uncomfortable with this, whatever it might be, you ask the question of, what does the Sharia say? One of the common things that happens, for example, is that people will say that they're a sheikh or whatever, and so because they're treating, uh, here's a very common one. Someone supposedly has some sort of jinn issue, so they need someone to treat them. So they go to the sheikh, and the sheikh is going to treat them for their jinn issue. He's going to recite some verses of the Qur'an, and of course he has to touch them in certain places in order for this recitation to really work. Is there anyone in the sharia that said that this is permissible? No. So what happens? Draw the big X. Leave. Quickly. Stay away from such people, especially when it involves jinn. 
uh, <clears throat> someone comes and they say, uh, you know, it's okay because like oftentimes when a sheikh takes like this oath of whatever from their students, they hold their hand, okay? So the, the man will hold the hand of the male student, right? So the, maybe they'll come and they'll say, it's okay because like you're, you're a woman and I'm a man. We're not supposed to normally touch each other. But, I, but you can hold my hand and do this because, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be your sheikh. What's the answer? <laughs> it's out. Uh, I'm the sheikh, and, like, you know, uh, it's okay, you know, to, to help ourselves really, like, understand the spiritual states that we're trying to reach. You can, like, you know, take a little bit of this natural remedy. Uh... California favorite and we're going to like be on this spiritual high together big X uh, you know fill in the gap fill in the fill in the blank but what is it that helps you in the end is a shitty out nobody 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 is free from the Sharia if you have a teacher who's trying to tell you that you don't need to know the Sharia also, big X, <laughs> you know, they're like saying all these fluffy things, they make you feel good, whatever. No. Why would someone not want you to know the Sharia? Because you can't question them, right? Like you can't question them. If you don't have any knowledge, you can't question them. So if you have a real teacher, they're going to tell you, you have to study this. You cannot get away from this. You have to study it. You have to take it seriously, you know. I remember like one, one teacher when I, I was like, you know, you want like these little secrets and stuff. It's like, Sheikh, what should I do? He's like, you should follow the Sunnah. It's like, yeah, but what should I do? He's like, you should follow the Sunnah. That's what you should do. This is, this is my advice to you. Follow the Sunnah. Not like some, you know, say this 4,000 times and then say this 7,000 times. And then when you're floating in the air, say this 2,000 times. And then after that, you're better than everyone. And the rules don't apply. You only have to pray once. Because your prayer once is like someone else's five. Like people say all kinds of crazy stuff. Sharia is the is the is the limiting point. Everyone is clear on this, so everyone knows what my position is on this. Nobody's gonna come later and say, well, you know, he didn't say this, he didn't say that. Everyone understands. Okay, alhamdulillah. It reached the point, not my position. Everyone that matters in all of Islamic history. Alhamdulillah for a religion where you can know when someone's out. <laughs> if they tell you certain things, you're like, oh, okay. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah for a religion where we worship Allah based on principles and ideas that are preserved by generations of people, not by single individuals. You can be disappointed with everyone on the face of the earth and recognize that, number one, I don't know everyone on the face of the earth. And number two, even if, even if it was the case, like, that doesn't mean everyone that came before them is out. Yes. Um, see, what do you say to people who say that when you're dealing with a sheikh, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt because there's like a deeper wisdom behind what they're doing, and it's because of your lack of knowledge that you're even judging them in the first place. I know what you're saying is you need to learn more, but what do you say to those people who say that there's a deeper wisdom behind what they're doing? Yeah. 
So the question is, what about people who say, well, you see something from the Sheikh that gives you questions, you should give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe there's a deeper wisdom to it, so on and so forth. Totally possible in the realm of the permissible. In the realm of the permissible, fine. Maybe someone does something that, like, I'm not really sure maybe why they did that, but it's permissible. It's permissible. Like, you know, people can have different takes on what to do in the realm of what's acceptable to do. But they can't, you can't say, like, this person's doing something that's clearly haram. And then you're like, well, maybe there's some deeper wisdom to it. You're like, yeah, maybe I should ask shaitan what it is. You know, like at that point, if they're doing something that's clearly haram, it's haram. If it's something that's not clearly haram, then, you know, you should ask. Ask them, ask other people. Like, I I think that having a teacher... Oh man, should I say... Do I really think this? Yeah, I think I really think this. I think that having a teacher is kind of like having a spouse. Okay, so in the sense that I always tell people if you're considering someone for marriage, the general rule is we don't think bad about people, right? We don't assume bad things about people, so on and so forth. But if I'm considering someone for marriage and there's things that I'm concerned about, I shouldn't ignore them. I should actually like figure out what's going on with that thing. And then I make my decision on whether or not I want to marry the person on sound understanding, not some sort of assumptions. And I think that like when we have a teacher, a spiritual teacher in particular, it's good to do that too. Like if there's things you have questions about, you should seek answers to those questions. And then maybe there's a point where you actually do trust the person and you're a little bit more charitable with them, but it doesn't, it doesn't take the Sharia away. Um, that being said, I think that there is kind of like the general thrust of American culture is that you do everything yourself and you don't trust anyone else. So I think that there's a, there is a little bit of like, sometimes we go too hard on things that maybe didn't need to be, we didn't need to go that hard on that issue, you know? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, we should just be careful sometimes we make assumptions, you know? And especially with these kind of, like, people who are really good people, as far as you can tell, you know? and they haven't done anything clearly wrong, you should give them a chance. Ask them questions, engage with them, so on and so forth. I hope that helps a little bit. It's a big, it's a big topic. Um, it's time for Maghrib. But we didn't even start yet. <laughs> we just finished what we finished in the past. Um, so let me read one paragraph, and then maybe we'll come back to it. Inshallah. It's so nice, like, now that Maghrib is a little bit earlier, actually, it's like, mashallah, really nice. It reached the point that when someone would give them charity, or be generous towards them, they would take that as an established norm. They would corner those who do good to them and say to them, Give us what we are used to receiving from you, or we will see what happens to you. So they're like making a threat, like, 
You know, I'm with God. You've been giving me this. Give me what I'm used to getting from you. Otherwise, we're going to see what happens to you. Of course, this is qabih, right? It's a very ugly thing to say. They give the impression to the people that they are people. This is why, by the way, even on this point, I'm really bad at fundraising and I hate fundraising. Because I feel like at a very profound level, it goes against everything you're trying to do. Like it's really hard to teach people and to serve people and you're asking them for money. Of course, organizations need money and so on and so forth. I mean, alhamdulillah, I get paid by the majlis. But fundraising just sucks. And it creates a really weird dynamic. Um, and then on top of it, the whole like guilt tripping in fundraising. Just want to vomit. They give the impression to the people that they are people of spiritual states and that God supports them in what they say. No, this is not the way of the impoverished people of God. Fuqara, the impoverished people of God. Their way is the way of humility, brokenness, not wanting to be known, temperance, lack of materialism, preferring others over themselves, and completely relying on God. So again, we come to the question of, okay, so what are the signs of the true teacher? So these are some of them. Humility, brokenness, those repeated. Not wanting to be known, repeated. Temperance, lack of materialism, preferring others over themselves, and completely relying on God. You know, which of course is in contrast to someone who's like, give me this, give me that, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Still early in Maghrib, I'm going to read a little bit more. As for these other people, you know, these people who don't do that, they do the other thing. As for these other people, they are the worst of people. They take people's wealth unjustly and claim elevated status when they are lowly. What do we say that one of the conditions of the true teacher is? They don't make claims, right? They don't make claims. But these people claim an elevated status when they are lowly. I'll give you an example of something that makes me uncomfortable, not to judge people who do it. But I'll just give you an example. If you have like, say you have a, a, a scholar, although I'm hesitant to use that word, but like someone who's learned at some level, they have their personal Facebook page and their page is sponsored. It bothers me. You're giving yourself a status at some level, right? Like you're pushing a status on people. Uh, same thing with like, you have to give me this title type stuff. The flip side of that, though, is that like people who deserve titles, they should have titles. And people who don't deserve titles, they shouldn't have titles. You know? Uh, that one is like unbelievable. The way we function with that issue in our community is unbelievable. It's like really amazing. I posted something about it a few days ago, and my wife told me I should take it down. So it's not down. It's not up anymore. <laughs> Some of you may have seen it. But the idea was like, Every, the following people are now considered medical doctors in my book. Anyone who's pre-med, anyone who's taken a weekend class on medicine, anyone who gives advice on medical issues without knowing what they're talking about, especially if it's really abrasive and annoying, all of these people are now medical doctors. Because like that's the way we do things. They're all medical doctors. Anyone who hits you over the head over and over and over again about how you should do this and how you should do that and how you shouldn't do this, and they quote the hadith, even whether or not it's even quoted in the right place. 
so on and so forth, this is a sheikh now. It's a sheikh. Someone else doesn't say anything, they don't do that to you, they're not a sheikh anymore. Whereas someone else, like, takes an opinion you don't like, they're not a sheikh anymore. You know? Someone prays with their hands at their side. Not a sheikh anymore. So on and so forth. It's completely like, there has to be some sense to the whole thing. As for these other people, they are the worst of people. I said that. Did I say that? Yes, they claim elevated status when they are lowly. They have become so plentiful in this time that they have occupied every land and place. We seek refuge in God from them. As Sayyid al-Bakri said about them in his thousand-line poem on Tasawwuf, their evil has increased in these times to the point that great harm is caused by them. And there was no one here to repel them for the sake of this pure religion. And when the people of God, it's actually the end. And when the people of God saw their large quantity, this is an interesting paragraph. And when the people of God saw their large quantity, the amount of corruption they were doing, and their deviations in beliefs, they closed the doors to the zawiyas of guidance and turned the affair over to the Lord of the servants. They blended in with the people until nobody even knew who they were, except for the ones whom God had chosen to receive his divine illuminations and eternal bliss. So what is he saying? He's saying eventually the situation got so bad that the true teachers actually closed up shop. Because they're like, we can't teach anymore. The whole thing became so corrupt that we can't teach anymore. If we teach, people say that we're wrong. People say that we're saying things like this. People attack us. They do all these kind of things. And then other people mimic the things that we do to mislead other people. So we're just going to close the whole thing down and blend in with the people and nobody will recognize them. <laughs> Which is really amazing, uh, amazing statement actually. Uh, maybe we'll just finish and then we'll break from other. So the one who is committed to traveling the path of true liberation and drowning in the oceans of divine oneness should be constant in their taqwa and their seeking protection in God. They should, they should call upon God through the rank of his messenger, asking him, capital H, to join him with a true sheikh who knows him and can give him tarbiyah, give, him, give the person that spiritual training. A sheikh who can remove him from the darkness of his base self and purify him giving him the drink of love. If God knows your sincerity and truthfulness, he will join you to such a sheikh. If you find him, take his hand and be with him like a dead corpse would be, and say all praises due to God who guided us to this, and if we were not guided for him, and if it were not for him, we would not have been guided. This statement a lot of people find problematic. Be with them like a dead person would be in, like in the court in the hands of someone else. You, like, you have to really have trusted that person at that point. Okay? So like everything that came before has to be fulfilled before you get to this point. And even then, there's still sharia. Because maybe you have like a true teacher who's 100% good and they fall. It can happen. They're not the Prophet. Maybe they fall. Um, 
So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, take it with everything before it. Don't get stressed out about it. And say, all praise is due to God who guided us to this, and if it were not for him, we would not have been guided. Meaning, oh, I put a comment because I knew people were going to be upset. Meaning, if you find someone you can truly trust for such a task, then turn yourself over to him or her and allow them to guide you. It is very important to understand statements such as this one in the context of everything else that has proceeded in this section. So, I said that. Then he ends with, put in the work, call upon God, and spend from yourself, not your wealth. Then it's a mic drop. That's what he dropped the mic on. Put in the work, call upon God, and spend from yourself, not your wealth. Spend from yourself, not your wealth. In the end, whose responsibility is it? In the end, it's each individual person's responsibility, right? Like no one, no one takes our job for us. We have our own responsibility with God. We have to put in the work. And uh, I think what one of the big takeaways before we break from Maghrib that should be taken from this is that, and then we'll read uh, Sheikh al-Muslimah's concluding reflections after Maghrib, inshallah. Um, number one, there are true teachers. Number two, there are a heck of a lot. I had to change that one half, half word. There are a heck of a lot uh, false teachers. And this should not be taken lightly. Should not be taken lightly. So don't just like get excited and be like, oh, there's true teachers, and like find someone that you like the way they trim their beard and like turn your life over to them. Don't don't do that. Okay? If you spent your whole life and didn't find someone that you really trusted, but you followed the Sharia, you worshipped Allah, you sought him, and you made salah on the Prophet you made dhikr, so on and so forth it's fine that's, that's actually fine it's better than turning your affairs over to someone that you don't trust or someone that is not trustworthy uh, or someone that didn't actually deserve that Okay, our salvation is not in so we're talking about the true shaykhs right? what did he say actually in the beginning he said salvation is in following the aqidah of the, of the imams of aqidah and the fiqh of the, of the imams of fiqh. And true perfection after that is in following the way of Junaid. But what is actually the issue? What is salva- where is salvation? Ultimately, where is salvation? It's in having the proper belief and acting properly. It's not in finding the true shaykh. The true shaykh brings it all to life, makes it more beautiful. Of course, it's a wonderful thing. But what I'm trying to say is like, if you don't have that, you don't have that. You're not like a bad person. You're not, you're not, uh, you know, whatever. Like it's, there's no, there's no issue with that, and it's better to be safe than sorry. I believe, I believe it's better to be safe than sorry. Alhamdulillah, we have, we have the religion. It's been, it's been preserved. We can still follow it. Alhamdulillah. So we'll stop here and then uh, pray Maghrib. After Maghrib, we'll read the section on the concluding reflections uh, from Sheikh Muslima. Inshallah. Subhanakum bihamdik so we were on this closing, concluding reflections by Shaykh Muslim of Permanent. May Allah preserve her and protect her from all evil.
say I mean to them. <laughs> All right. So, I think she kind of went out on a limb with what she said here. But she's being honest. And, um, and I got kind of teary-eyed the first time I read it. So I think it was good. MashaAllah. So let's read it. Bismillah. Concluding Reflections by Shaykh al-Muslim al-Purma the understanding that the world even has something called a true sheikh was something I discovered much later on in life. It is the most incredible blessing after faith itself. While I had heard time and time again, the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets, I did not realize what that meant. I actually didn't even have a proper conception of the awliya, the intimate friends of God, his saints, male and female talked about in the first session I had a rant about sensitivity to the word saint so you can listen to that inshallah. Uh, I did not comprehend the significance of dhikr or salawat on the Prophet I thought that the word ihsan was a fleeting experience that comes and goes I grew up in the American Muslim masjid I was very active in the Muslim community throughout my youth and young adulthood and even went to Al-Azhar University and studied Sharia. Through all of this, I was still veiled to this important life-changing healing and uplifting reality in the world. It is foundational to our religion and was for centuries of our religious tradition. This was our orthodoxy. This is our orthodoxy. This reality is not a footnote. It is the antidote to much of the distress we see in our ummah globally. And yet, how many are still only now hearing about these things? I knew there were false sheikhs, because I had unfortunately met some, and a great number were also reported to me by women and sometimes men around the world while I was a student overseas. Emails would come in from people I did and didn't know describing terrible situations of harm by someone claiming to be a sheikh. Sometimes the quote-unquote sheikh had studied formally, more often they had not. I couldn't help but wonder, why do we even need sheikhs? Can I study my religion formally at a university and not have to defer in mentorship or counsel to other teachers, male teachers especially? Can I get my own accreditation so I don't have to rely on someone else? Yet what I found, even after my undergraduate studies in Al-Azhar, was that every student of knowledge whose beautiful character I admired, without exception, wanted, searched, and tried to find a good mentor in a sheikh or sheikha, a person of brilliance in their scholarship, integrity in their example, and righteousness in their practice. Upon reflecting upon why we as believers need the person who embodies the teaching, and not just the information we read in books, I realized we all miss the Prophet Muhammad
What I found that was every student of knowledge whose beautiful character I admired without exception wanted, searched, and tried to find a good mentor and a sheikh or sheikha, a person of brilliance in their scholarship, integrity in their example, and righteousness in their practice. Upon reflecting why we as believers need the person who embodies the teaching and not just the information we read in books, I realized we all miss the Prophet Muhammad We are looking for him everywhere. We want to be from his devoted followers, to be directly molded by his teachings and mentorship, to be supporters of his way and upholders of his mission. So, until we find someone who truly carries the light of our beloved Prophet we are missing something unfulfilled. Degrees will not satiate this hunger. Books will never be enough. When Allah sent his religion to mankind, he always sent it with his messengers and placed in the hearts of his seekers the yearning to find them. Yet, unfortunately, many will fill this very real yearning and many have, by turning in devotion and deference to a false shaykh, a charlatan, a pretender. Not everyone is intentionally a fraud. Some are just weak, others truly deluded. May Allah protect us all. The Prophet ﷺ told us, Allah will aid his religion even by a man who is licentious. This is a hadith. Allah will aid his religion even by a fajr. Even by a fajr, person who is corrupt, they're licentious, they don't act properly. Sometimes the false teacher is not even someone who claims to have any kind of spiritual authority, but they take their sense of entitlement from their Islamic legal studies or specialization in another branch of sacred knowledge and abuse people through the platforms they are given. While spiritual abuse is one of the most painful traumas for one to experience, True sheikhs and teachers are from the greatest sources of healing and upliftment. The true sheikh helps put us back together. Their very presence helps to renew our faith in miraculous ways and brings us into increased presence in our, resem- in our remembrance of God. There's a story of someone uh, we know who had unfortunately been on the receiving end of some spiritual abuse. And this woman, I've told this story before. This woman went to a someone who I would consider to be a true sheikh and sat in front of him and told him the whole story. And he didn't say much. And all that happened was that, you know, of course he listened and she looked up at some point while she was telling the story and she saw like a tear falling from his eye and she said along the lines of in that moment all of the pain that she had before left There is an order of good in the world that has existed and persisted through the ages that have passed. Allah did not leave us in chaos to deal with the darkness of this world without also sending us people of much more powerful healing light. May we find His most beloved ones, may we learn from them, may we honor and love them as He loves, 
And may He allow us to benefit from them as much as possible in this life and gather us with them in the next. Ameen. I leave you with a prayer for one seeking a true guide. O Allah, guide me to one who will guide me to you and connect me to one who will connect me to you. Allahumma dullani ala man yudullani alayk wa silni biman yasiluni bik. Allahumma ameen. Sallallahu wa sallam ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. That's the end of the, uh, the essay and the translation and everything else. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. So, questions, comments? Complaints, observations. Uh, what else could you possibly have? Other things that you might have. They are welcome. Bismillah. Yes. Thank you very much. My first question is how can you know a tr- who a true teacher is? By everything, everything that was in the paper. Go back and read it. The majlis, or listen to the, listen to the things. It's hard to summarize it all, uh, but the short of it would be that they follow the imams of the religion and the three branches of iman, Islam, and ihsan, and they themselves have traveled the path to God on the hands of someone who traveled the path of God. And you look for you look uh, upon them for the signs of taqwa, for the signs of righteousness, so on and so forth. And um, and you make dua, have a good intention. Man jadda wajad, said man jadda wajad, the one who uh, sincerely tries, they find. You know, it might take some time. One year, two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, but eventually you find someone. Like I said, it's not required for salvation, you know, so it's not like if it was if if it was required for salvation, it would be very easy to find it. Because that's what Allah did for us. He made his religion. The part of the religion that's necessary for salvation is very clear in front of us, you know it. And the rest of it, you know, look for these qualities, you make this dua. Look for these qualities. I think um, the more we know the Prophet them, the more we can recognize these things. And so, uh, which is a good segue for what, I, what we're doing for the month of Rabi'ul Awwal, inshallah, is we're going to release a 40 hadith collection that's taken from the Shema'il of the Prophet. So, I think during the pandemic, we had done the, um, we read through the entire Shema'il of Imam al Tirmidhi. And it's quite a large book, right? 415 hadith or 410. Can't remember right now. Just over 400. So what I did was I looked through all of that and I picked 40. And the idea from these 40 is that you can read these and understand with intimacy who was the Prophet And you can read them quickly because it's only 40. Reading 400 is harder. But in 40 you can read them quickly, you can review them quickly. Until the point where if we read them quickly, review them quickly, until the point where it becomes very clear in our mind who the Prophet was. And then we use that, of course, as the greatest standard. 
the 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 Shaykh of Shaykhs in a sense is the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He's the ultimate pinnacle. And when we read those things, you might you realize things that maybe like I've said in other times, like we We need to read that and understand that that's what it means to be religious. We have a problem in our community based oftentimes on ignorance that what it, what it means to be religious is very skewed in our heads. It doesn't actually reflect reality. When you read the Shema'id, the descriptions of the Blessed Prophet them, you get that reality. So for example, one of the descriptions of the Prophet them that's in the collection is he was asked about his behavior and so on. person said, what can I tell you about him? I was his neighbor. When revelation would be revealed, he would call me to write it down. When he sat with the people, he would listen to what they said. They would talk about food, he would talk about food. They would talk about jahiliyyah, he would listen. They would talk about the hereafter, he would talk about the hereafter. If he didn't have anything to say, he would just sit with them and smile. And that was it. And subhanAllah, I read that and I was, the first thing that came to my head is that sounds like Sheikh so and so. It's not like they're sitting and lecturing all the time. So we, uh, the Shema'il help. Inshallah, they'll help. So, inshallah, from next week we'll read from that. Hopefully, it'll take us the month of Rabi' al Awwal. Month of Rabi' al Awwal is the month of the birth of the Prophet. So, maybe for the month of the birth of the Prophet, we'll be able to read about the Prophet and be inspired by that, inshallah. No one else have anything? Yes. Yeah, so how to handle situations where a person is expected to be addressed as sheikh when they're not actually a sheikh at all, let alone a true sheikh. <laughs> you know, like we said, there's levels here. Someone might be a sheikh in the sense that they've completed some sort of formal study and upon them are the signs of taqwa and so on and so forth. So they're sheikh, but they're, they're not like a sheikh, sheikh. Um, I've struggled with this somewhat. Especially as my understanding of who a sheikh is has changed over time. So now there's a lot of people who, you know, uh, socially speaking, we call them sheikhs. I kind of feel shy to call them a sheikh. But at the same time, there are different types of sheikhs. You know, like, uh, it's very common, for example, in Azhar and Egypt, and you sit in classes and stuff, and the teacher will refer to everyone in their class as a sheikh. And it's out of, like, 
you're here as a student, inshallah you're going to study, you're going to study more, inshallah you will be a sheikh. So, you know, sheikh so-and-so, sheikh so-and-so. That's how they refer to everyone in the class. Are they giving them the stamp that like, you're such, you're, no. But they're a student and so on and so forth. The short of this is that I would say that if you don't feel comfortable giving someone a title, just don't give it to them. And if other people have a problem with that, then alhamdulillah they have a problem with that. It's their problem to deal with. We're not responsible for other people's problems. This is like not very popular now. Like, for example, I'm not responsible for someone else's su'adhan. Within reason. You know, like the Prophet them, for example, when he was out at nighttime and he was with his wife, and people saw him, and he told them, Hadihi Safiya. He told them, This is Safiya. And they're like, Ya Rasulullah, like, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna assume anything about you. And he's like, Yeah, but this is Safiya, just so you know. This is my wife. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So there is an, an extent to which we are responsible for people. Like, if we're doing something that could come off as shady, then we're responsible for that. But if we're not doing something that could come off as being shady or whatever, and people have assumptions, People have bad opinions. People have whatever it might be. We're not responsible for that. So, you know, if you don't want to call someone sheikh, don't call them sheikh. There are people I don't call them sheikh. Because I don't believe that they deserve to have that title. So I might call them something else, like imam, or... I try to get around it some way. Molana, like some sort of... There's things people use just like culturally, you know? But you're not really... But actually, like for example, when we were studying, I'll, give, I'll take it even a step further. There's a hadith on this too. Um, one of our books in Al-Azhar on Tafsir Ayat Al-Ahkam, the commentary on the verses that you take rulings from. I don't remember which verse it was, but in the verse the word ekh was used. Ekh, brother. Right? And the commentary said, for someone who's corrupt, you shouldn't call them brother. Because to call them brother is a is an honorific. Forget Sheikh and like Imam and Ustad and all of these other things. Like you don't call them brother. They're doing corrupt stuff. Don't call them brother. Just to give you like a it's not necessarily like so straightforward, but just to give you kind of like a feeling of if you don't feel like someone deserves a title, don't give it to them. And if they're really upset that you don't give them their title, then that's for them to work through. And if other people are upset that you didn't give them their title, then that's for them to work through. And as long as you don't mean any sort of like disrespect by it, you don't you just don't feel like calling them that. Alhamdulillah, you don't feel like calling them that. Some people come up there like, so you're Sheikh Jamal, right? I'm like, actually, you know, my driver's license says that I'm Jamal. <laughs> people call me different things. <laughs> no, that's up to them. But. My name is Jamal. I mean, what did they call the Prophet They called him the Prophet. Some people called him Muhammad Should we do that? We shouldn't. <laughs> Should we say? I mean, there's there's good things like Hazrat. Like, there's a reason why South Asians use Hazrat in front of the names of the Sahaba. There's a reason why many Arabs will use Sayyid, Sayyidna. Like Egyptians, classic, like old school Egyptian culture is you don't say the name of the Sahaba without saying Sayyidna or Sittina. You know, like you give them an honorific. Because they're the Sahaba. But if someone, you know, 
If you don't feel like it, don't give it to them. That's what I feel. Hmm? Oh, yeah, cool. Some people will give it to them just because, like, that's what they're known as. And see, I give this title, these titles in general, based on two things. One of them is their actual study, their actual knowledge. Like, not only their study, but, like, you know, have I tried them a little bit? Some people they've studied, but when I have a conversation with them, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what happened in this person's studies. Stuff for Allah. Like, Allah forgive me, but this is my field, you know? And then number two is uh, th their outward piety. What I know from their conduct. So they could have a whole lot of studies, but if they, like someone in particular comes to mind. But I know from their conduct, I'm not going to call them anything. You can call them doctor, you can call them sheikh, you can call them mufti, you can call them sit on the big panel, whatever. To me, they're just fulan. So some people, if I... If I don't know something corrupt about them and everyone calls them Shaykh or everyone calls them Imam or whatever, I'm not gonna like make an issue about it. But if I have some reservations around their behavior, then it doesn't matter. This is the big one. Does that help? Yeah, thank you. Do you have any advice with regards to warning others about false shoes? Do you have any advice about warning others about false shoes? Oh man. This is kind of like the issue of our day, you know? This is kind of like the issue of our day. There's different kinds of warning. Start there. There's a warning that you do on an individual level. There's a warning you do on a public level. Uh, what you do on a public level is actually called, it, it has a term in fiqh. It's called tashir. Tashir. Uh, it needs some research. One of the mashayikh recently was saying like, it's, it's not good that we have this whole discourse around all of this stuff, but Nobody's talking about the ahkam of tashir. No one's talking about, like, what does the fiqh say on publicizing scandals? Sometimes you publicize, sometimes you don't. There is fiqh on it. The problem is, and this goes to the next issue, is that the problem is that all of that fiqh, as far as I know, I don't know that much, it seems to me that I shouldn't say all. A large part of that fiqh relates to legal systems. Like, you need a judiciary. And not everything that would be prosecutable in the American courts. Now, what should I say? Some things could be not prosecutable in American court, and they would be prosecutable in an Islamic court. I think I said this. Like, if you're a mufti and you give certain fatwas, you would get beat. If you're not a mufti and you give a fatwa, you will get beat. Because it is a serious danger to society for people to run around opening their mouths on issues of religious knowledge when they're not qualified. So like, 
if someone's not qualified and they're sitting there and saying this is halal and this is haram and you can't do this and this and that government like had you would get imprisoned you would get they beat people then it wasn't always like you know you just go to jail <laughs> you might get hit a couple times quite honestly knowing the kind of things that happen in american jails i would rather get hit a couple times than go to jail i mean you can leave you can miss me with that Give me like 10 hits, I'm good to go. Like prison is... May Allah protect us, our loved ones, may Allah free our brothers and sisters who are, uh, have been imprisoned unjustly. And it's horrible. But anyways, the point is, to that level, like forget someone like is doing something that is inappropriate for their position and so on and so forth, you would bring that in front of the court. And the court would have the resources to investigate that. The court would have the resources to look into that. And the court would come to a conclusion. And the public wouldn't necessarily be privy to all of the details of the investigation. But the, but the public would know that this legitimate body did an investigation and came to a conclusion. Right? They would know that. And if there was some sort of appeal to be made, an appeal could be made. Similar to our court system. Without that, you have a lot of problems. And that's, I think, the problem that we're in right now. You know, people put blame in different places. Uh, we're young. When you're young, there's a lot of things you got to figure out as a community. There's a lot of fard kifaya around religion that's not being fulfilled. There's a lot of communal obligation around religion that's not being fulfilled. To have a judicial system where the rules of Allah are implemented is a communal obligation. Which means that every single, if it's done by a few people, nobody is sinful. If it's not done, everyone is sinful. Why? Because how can you have a population that doesn't have that? Because you have to have some system. So if you have that system, then potentially they can come to a conclusion and say, this needs to be publicized. You don't have to worry about it anymore. On a personal level, if you know of some sort of harm that's going to come to somebody else, and you have a reason to address them about it, you can address them about it. It's like marriage. Like we said earlier, it's like marriage. Someone comes to you and say, I want to marry so-and-so, and you know that that person is divorced and they used to beat their wife. You have to tell them that. You can't be like, oh, you know, mashallah, brother praise. No, you have to tell them. I, I know that this person was previously married and they beat their wife. You should look into that. Right? Like, so if you have knowledge and someone is going to ask you and you have the ability to stop that harm you have to say something and you have to say something at at the level that's needed to stop the harm because this is now it is technically backbiting but the backbiting is permitted because of the necessity and the necessity is limited by its need by how much is needed so if someone comes to me and says do you think i can i should marry so and so and I know all these bad things about them, but I can tell them I absolutely do not think that you should marry that person. Only that, and they would stop. That's all I tell them. If I tell them more, I'm actually sinful. But if they resist and they're like, I don't know, why should I? And then you kind of like, you have to tell what you have to tell. You know? Uh, Allah help us. And these things are very difficult. Yes, Ashwin. What if they don't ask you, but you know this person is making a decision and you feel an obligation to let them? If you know them and you have that kind of position with them and you can 
prevent them from coming to harm, then you should probably prevent them from coming to harm. Even if they didn't ask you. And I think a lot of people might differ with me on that. But that's what I believe. And I think that's like goes with the general principles of Islam. If you know that someone could be coming into some sort of harmful situation and you should let them know. And so I always do your research too. Don't assume. Don't assume. One of the brothers told us, you'll probably see this on our website, you might not see it. It's very subtle. One of the brothers told us we should put it on our website. Let me read it to you. It's in the Who We Are section, I think. Yeah, on the bottom. It says, As community servants, we interact with many other community leaders and imams. This includes speaking at their venues, sharing panels, and hosting. None of these actions should be seen as vouching to their character or general support. For more on this topic, see here, and then there's a link. Why? Of course, we're not going to invite someone that we know is... We're not going to host someone that we know something is wrong with that. Uh, but it might be the case that we hosted someone, and then afterwards we find out that something happened. So as a medjlis, like, usually we'll take down all that stuff. Like, we maybe, we've done stuff with people in the past that things happened afterwards. We took down all that stuff. The videos are not there, the pictures are not there, so on and so forth. But it doesn't mean, like, I might, I might go to, it's happened. Like, I might go to a conference, and they're like, okay, you're in this session, and you're speaking with so-and-so. I'm like, okay. And then I get to the panel, and they change the speaker. And the speaker is not someone that I would want to speak next to, right? Now you're in, like, it's a problem. What do you tell them? (laughs) Sometimes you're sitting next to someone, like, you have beef with them. Sometimes I'm like, I have a problem with this person that I'm sitting next to. It's really tough, subhanAllah. But if we can stop harm, we should stop it. But we should also make sure that the knowledge we have is sound. Like someone said something to me recently that I was like, wow. Wow, were you misinformed? Like, I know the details of this situation, and wow, were you misinformed? Someone gave you bad intel. Um, so, you know, consider that as well. Allah help us. 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 What else? Brian. Um, outside of the realm of formal studies, how can someone approach Jewish actually want to be this not just like asking questions? Yeah, a true sheikh, you're not usually going to them for formal studies. Now you're opening up a huge can of worms. <laughs> Um, again, not everyone is meant to be a student of knowledge right? like, but that doesn't mean that we don't want to benefit from righteous people in our relationship with God like I, right? Like, I could want to be really close to God and not want to be a student of knowledge I don't have to be a student of knowledge as long as I know my basic aqidah, I know my basic fiqh I don't need to know anything else then I just need to worship Allah and I want someone who's going to help me in worshiping Allah and they're not going to do those other things for you. They might, but that would be from their role as a teacher, like as an outward teacher, not as their role as an inward teacher. So in their role as an inward teacher, they're probably going to give you like 
certain dhikr to make, uh, encourage you to do certain things of worship, follow up with you. They'll give you counsel on those issues. Like you go to them, you tell them, Shaykh, I'm having a really hard time not feeling negatively towards XYZ. Not, I'm, I'm, I'm having a difficulty with controlling my anger. So on. So these are the things that they give you advice. On. That's that's their run, you know. And uh, so you don't you don't learn from them in the same way. You're learning from them how to be, not what to be, but how to be. Does that make sense? Which is much more important, actually. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know the Sharia would be like you know everything related to worship. It's not you know, like Fuad's says Fuad's class that he just finished, he covered everything you need to know. Starting, I don't know how many sessions it was, eight sessions or something. I'll probably do one soon. And then you need to know, like, some of those things that I mentioned around interactions. Basically, we're required from the, we're required to know from the Sharia what we know, what we need to do whatever it is that we're doing. So, if I'm a business person, I'm required to know certain rules around economics. If I'm going to get married, I'm required to know some of the rules around marriage. Probably some of the rules around divorce too, so that I know what happens, um, and so on. It's not like a whole lot, but like I said, like should know, for example, from the Sharia, that men and women aren't supposed to be touching each other, that aren't related and not married. If someone does that, that's their own business. That's not. I'm not here to like judge someone who does that. It's not my point. But if someone's a sheikh, they definitely should not be doing that, you know, um, or the sheikha. Corrupt sheikhs too, I'm sure. Um, I would imagine less, probably, but <laughs> it's like in hadith. But uh, those kind of things. It's not all. It's not necessarily a whole lot. That's part of fiqh, but you don't have to know like everything in fiqh. You don't have to know like the rules of hunting and the rules of you know how to slaughter an animal and stuff like that. You just need to know whatever the issue, you know, whatever the situation is. You just need to be able to have some sort of standard by which to judge a person's character. Um, I was going to say something about that, but I forgot what it was. And, you know, to ask if there's like things that seem unclear to us, we should ask. Not necessarily them, maybe ask someone else. You can even ask Google if you want. It's not so trustable, but at least it'll get you somewhere. You know? Um, uh, There's something I was going to say, but I forgot what it was. I don't know. Most of us have some sort of general sense as to what is corrupt and what is not. I mean, like the average Muslim who's attended some things, they've been around some good people, they have a general understanding of what's right and what's wrong. You know? like, and we have to trust that too. Yeah, that's the hadith of uh, 
of Wabisa where the Prophet said that righteousness it settles in your heart and it feels good and something that's wrong it agitates you even if even if people give you fatwa that it's okay they might tell you it's okay and you're like I don't know it just doesn't feel right you know? we shouldn't ignore that yeah, we shouldn't ignore that Is the Dar Iftah Masri website good to take fatwas from? I think generally yes. Generally yes. There might be a few things. Like on banks and stuff like that. They have some questionable... I don't know if questionable is the right word, but they have some controversial fatwas. But generally speaking, yes. It's, it's pretty good. Dar al-Ifta, Egypt. Dar al-Ifta is the house of fatwa in Egypt. Their website has an English website too. There's a lot of good articles and things. Uh, I forget what it is. Dar al-Ifta. Ifta. Uh, I think A-L-I-F-T-A. What else? Anything else? When it's hot, you just feel like hanging out. Cool night. Like you just sleep here. Nothing? Okay. Subhanakum wa bihamdik nashadu wa na'ayin.